0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: This episode is sponsored by Casper. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash decoding and using promo code decoding at checkout. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Be careful what you wish for. For a self-portrait... You may find it's not very flattering. Enough games, Robert. Good night. No, William. I think perhaps one final game. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen.
1: I'm Joanna Robinson.
0: Welcome to the show. What we do here on this podcast is uh, we recap every episode of Westworld in detail. We speculate. We theorize. But we do not spoil anything from future week's episodes, and that includes the next time on preview that HBO sometimes shows uh, before the next episode. You can find more episodes of this podcast at DecodingWestworld.com. You can also email us at DecodingWestworld at gmail.com. So much to discuss this week. Season 2, Episode 9 is the episode we'll be recapping uh, vanishing point directed by Stephen Williams so uh, let's get into it shall we but before we do that we got a couple of announcements we got a couple of emails we got to go through first of all on last week's episode I said that if you have any uh, if you have any names out there that we did not shout out even though we said we would shout them out uh, uh, because you backed our Kickstarter please let us know I said email decodingwestworld@gmail.com. at gmail.com let us know if uh, if we didn't Get your name. Uh, shout it out during the show. And several of you emailed in, and I don't know what happened. Like, there might have been some uh, issue with user error, most likely on my part, or uh, perhaps, like, the name was not submitted in the way that people wanted it to or whatever. Uh, but we did have some names we wanted to shout out, so I will just shout them out now. Big thanks to Dan Cleland. Big thanks to Nathan Hale Sargent. And a big thanks to uh, Michael Tavares and Tracy Richards for contributing to our Kickstarter. Uh, Really appreciate it, folks. And uh, thanks to everyone who donated to the Kickstarter and made this season of the podcast possible. I think that should now cover everyone. But if if we possibly still missed anyone, uh, do email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com and let us know. We will be sure to rectify that mistake immediately. All right, Joanna, you had a couple things you wanted to bring up, right, in response to last week's episode, right?
1: Yeah, just a few, like, corrections or comments. Um, First of all, uh, I made this mistake on on both my Westworld podcasts last week. Good job, me. Which is I I misheard something that Akichita said to Ford uh, in last week's episode. Um, He said he found himself a new drive. I misheard him and thought he said a new tribe. Mm. Um, and so we had this whole discussion about what that meant uh, when I misunderstood. Uh, the the sentiments aren't entirely dissimilar, but dissimilar enough that I got some feedback on it. So This
0: changes everything.
1: <laughs> All your theories are now out the window. Yes. Um, everything you said
0: is now intellectually bankrupt because (laughs) you misheard that word anyway
1: and then the last the last thing um, I will say is that I thought we brought this up but we got enough emails that either we like brought we glossed over it too quickly or whatever but um, yes I think Dave Chen and I are both aware that uh, Zan McLaren who played Akichita, was in uh, season two episode two right Um, at the sort of pitch meeting for logan yeah so uh we knew that i thought we talked about it but enough people said we didn't talk about it that i just thought i would underline the fact that we know that that's the case you know and one emailer said uh perhaps i don't know logan was talking to him more in the desert than he otherwise would have because he recognized him from that meeting i don't think so only because like a A-Ki- like a was wearing a lot of paint um, when he encountered Logan in the desert and Logan does, does not seem to be like the kind of dude who would know what is what uh, when it comes to Ghost Nation. E-
0: even if he was lucid, he might but not I was know. Yeah,
1: yeah, but the other thing is he was, his mind was completely gone. The information we're supposed to take from the fact that Akijito was in that original pitch meeting with um, the Angela character and Logan um, is that he's a very, very old host, but we already knew that. So yeah. there you go.
0: So Joanna, there was uh, a complaint I had about last week's episode that I did not voice because you know in our in all of our uh, all of our excitement to talk about how awesome last week's episode was, um, I had forgotten to bring this up. At least I think I forgot. So let me know if I'm wrong about that. But I think one of the issues I had with last week's episode, which again was was beautiful and sublime and, and had a lot of great qualities about it, is there there is this principle in filmmaking and also like. Um, video game creation, I guess is another way to say it, that you only show the audience what they need to see. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you've ever been on a film set, you know, like like two feet off of what the camera is shooting, there's like nothing there. You know what I'm saying? Um, Mm -hmm. Or if you're playing a video game, it often only renders uh, the parts of the level that you are are in and are going to immediately interact with. Um, And It did strike me as a little silly that they have all these characters like out living lives and doing all this stuff that's like theoretically is completely unnecessary for the maintenance of the park uh, and to accomplish what it needs to unless there's some broader plan of like having these hosts, you know, testing out some kind of programming, um, uh, you know, without humans there. Did you have any thoughts on like why they might have these hosts continuing to operate on autopilot even if they're not interacting with guests?
1: You're talking about Ghost Nation,
0: Ghost Nation, or or any any hosts at all, you know. I uh, think uh, yeah, there's a
1: pass, there's a potential for all of the hosts to interact with guests because though guests are kept on certain paths and loops, there are also like the whole idea of spontaneity spontaneity of play uh, is that they should be allowed to go anywhere within reason. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't know that we were supposed to take. From all this, that Ghost Nation never encountered any guests uh, this whole time. That Akichita, like that Akichita, was out there, uh, and in fact, Akichita, you know, intentionally sort of goes into some places where there are more guests than there might otherwise be. So I don't, I don't know that there's anyone like living in a corner of the park that like no one has seen, except for Akichita, who went to like great pains to make that the case. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, I I guess I would say it's an extremely minor nit. So, you know, but I just – I I would feel remiss if I did not mention it.
1: If you Uh, didn't pick it? Yeah,
0: I I, I, I would feel like something is – wrong. like there's some part of me that was unexpressed if I didn't say it on the podcast. (laughs) Um, But I I think I would also say that like in that scenario, if if, like – it seemed like Akishita and his uh, colleagues were – in a really remote part of the park is, is what it felt like based on how it was shown on the screen. And that, like, theoretically, like, they wouldn't, uh, you know, uh, there would probably be some way to program it so they wouldn't animate until a human interacted with them. You know what I'm saying? Just to, like, save energy and stuff. Anyway, right. completely minor. And I'm probably going to regret bringing it up. Uh, but there it is. There it is.
1: I, you know, I like when you pick Nick, mostly. <laughs> there might be uh, one, one in the one in this episode
0: that I will fight you on. But okay, no, part, we're definitely going to fight a lot in this episode <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we got a couple emails uh-huh. um, from people. Uh, Suzanne wrote to us uh, about Sam Shepard. Right, this email we want to talk about. Um yeah uh
1: I mean, she mentioned Sam Shepard uh because we were talking about Ed Harris and the right stuff on uh, another podcast of mine, but um mostly she was talking about she was writing it about creation myths, yeah, uh, which I thought was interesting we we talked a lot on this podcast this season about um biblical imagery in this season, like, you know, sparked by the thing opening with the flood, um, and then all these, like, messianic sort of imagery of, like, who who is our, our Christ figure in this season, all that sort of stuff. But Suzanne brings up a, a good point and something I think we touched upon last week when we were talking about um, uh, Kichita's journey to the underworld being a myth that's repeated across different cultures and she brought up the fact that like when it comes to creation myths a lot of different cultures have similar markers so a flood uh, is just a really common thing uh, in in across almost all mythology so the native americans have a creation myth that involves a flood celtic tradition babylonian stories uh and she points out that the babylonian story includes the word uh sweet water as part of it um you know but she was looking uh, specifically at a, a i think it's a navajo uh creation myth about the cat people and just sort of like who might be the different players in that creation myth where what parallels they might have uh, you know i, I would expect of Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan who are so uh, conscientious about dropping literary references in that if they're going to have a whole episode dedicated to ghost nation, which is admittedly a made up native culture that they would have looked into creation myths, uh, from, you know, because there's a lot of talk about a new world, the old world, the wrong world, a new species, the dawn of a new era. Like it feels like this is, um, Different characters have different ideas of what the new world will look like, but a lot of them are striving for a new world. And um, so it's worthwhile just looking into some of these uh, different mythological traditions for fun, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, another a movie that made me think of this a lot recently was the Darren Aronofsky film Mother, if you've ever yeah, you've seen yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I did. This idea, this idea like, I, I, I don't I want to be careful not to spoil that movie, but I think, like, one of the ideas put forward in that film is... Uh, The concept that God has uh, Created and destroyed the world Like countless times in the past You know Um, And I think that's like a really Fascinating idea Or you know Similar to like The Matrix Right like Uh, the the idea that there's been like many matrices in the past and like, you know, uh, I just find that to be completely. Battlestar Galactica. There you go. Yeah. I find it to be completely fascinating. And um, certainly the, uh, the hosts being on these loops and like them having like lived all these lives countless times, it really does kind of feed into that. That kind of myth so
1: yeah um, I felt like I felt like in season one I I was often quoting Battlestar Galactica which which has this great quote all this has happened before and will happen again and um that is Battlestar right I'm not crazy and um the and and so when we got Dolores waking up in season one uh and we saw her do it twice because we didn't know we were watching two timelines smooshed together uh, unless we were Redditors then um you know that that is something that you know that's a it's an awakening of Dolores, a, a sort of uh, Eve biting the apple thing that happened at least twice in her in her lifetime. But who's to say uh, how many times some other things might have happened?
0: Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, thanks uh, to Suzanne for writing into decodingwestworld dot com. There's also an email from Laura, uh, Laura G, who wrote into decodingwestworldatgmail dot com. Right. Um, first of all, Laura brings up an issue that several people had. Which was like, there was a scene, I think, in last week's episode where a tech explains to Hale how the mesh network works, I think, right? And I think a lot of people had problems with that because they're like, why wouldn't Hale know about that? It feels like implausible and kind of bad writing. Um, surprisingly, that was something that didn't bother me. You know, I just feel like this this show has a ton of exposition that it needs to get out, and it's got to do it in whatever you know. It's got to use every trick in the book to get it out, um, including monologuing or characters not knowing stuff. And so, I was pretty sympathetic to that. Um, Laura also had some other thoughts about Forge, and I think you wanted to bring that up, right?
1: Yeah, we find out in this episode that uh, the that you know, there's we'll we'll get to this when we get into the meat of the episode, but there's. We already went into the cradle earlier this season, and we find out that there's a counterpart for the cradle um, across the park called the Forge. Uh, it's it's sort of the name for the server farm that we've been learning a little bit about that where all the human consciousness is stored. It's called the Forge, which is an annoying thing to call it because it sounds too much like Forge. But anyway, it's called the Forge with a G-E. And Laura writes in – she says, by the way, Forge is – an open source software platform that's used in development analytics, source code storage, et cetera. They're probably using Linux for their mesh. She, she says means Delos. Delos is probably using Linux for their mesh. And this works great with that. Forge analysis is used a lot in genetics and you can use forge to 3d print. Uh, and then she concludes when it comes to naming all the text, starting with the use of the word host, the show is very literal, which is great for trying to predict where the show is going to go. So, if you want to look into The Forge, which is the pre-existing, in-our-universe, open-source software platform, and think about what genetics and 3D printing might have to do with what we're going to see in the finale, um, that is something that you can do.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for all the emails to decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Really appreciate it. Uh, so, why don't we dive into this week's episode? Again, it's called Vanishing Point. And there's just a few... Plot lines to discuss, right? There's one big one with William and the Men in Black. Big revelations there with Woman and the Men in Black. Um, And then the other ones are kind of like a little bit less stuff happens with them. Um, But let's dive into those first. Maeve and Bernard and Ford and Elsie. Talk about all the stuff that goes on with them. So we're back in the mesa, right? And Bernard heads downstairs and sees Charlotte and tech testing Clementine, who has Maeve's code uh, implanted inside of her. Uh, and she's kind of instructed to deliver a payload through the mesh network. Uh, and there's a scene where, like Clementine, like, kind of puts her hand on the glass and deploys this code, and all the people start fighting. And uh, so this this takes place in the past because it's before Charlotte knows that Bernard is a host, right?
1: Correct. Yes. Uh,
0: and so then we, we understand Charlotte's going to use Clementine to destroy the hosts. So, uh, what did you think of this scene? Pretty. Uh, I, I would say what I would describe what I'd use to describe a lot of this episode is is very theatrical. You know, um it's very theatrical and kind of over the top scene and in this case I thought it really worked. You know, I, I you could you could predict exactly what was going to happen but it's still pretty well done with all the hosts uh, killing themselves. Your thoughts on on how this played out?
1: Yeah, I thought it was really beautiful. Um the the way it's it sort of reflects You know, we already saw Clementine used as a scapegoat for Charlotte's machinations in season one when she, like, implanted that fake buggy code in her and had her uh, kill a dude, basically, in one of those exam rooms. And so here she is again and uh, once again a pawn um, for... For Charlotte, I liked – I really like Angela Serafian. I really liked her performance here. Um, It is theatrical, but I just really liked all the shots of, like, her putting her hand up in the glass, the way she did it. Um, You know, she's had to do so much work this season without any words, uh, you know, because Clementine – Hasn't spoken since she got lobotomized. I believe that's correct. And so, you know, I think she's been really effective. I mean, she's got a, this amazing face, these amazing eyes. Like, the, they're all very expressive. But I think she's done a lot of really good work in that department. And it's really perturbing. You know, I I actually, I did I did speak to this actress for my other podcast, still watching Westworld. And um, Angela Ruffian said that she pointed out that, like, now Maeve and Clementine are two opposite ends of the, of the same spectrum, uh, meaning they have the same powers and, uh, you know, Clementine's being used as a weapon and Maeve presuming she gets up off that table is sort of a defense. And, you know, the way she talked about that, like without, she didn't spoil anything, but I was just sort of like, well, Crap. These women are going to fight, aren't they, in the finale? And that's going to be really sad. I mean, like, it's just a hypothesis, but that's really sad to me because, you know, Maeve thinks of Clementine as a daughter to her. And for Charlotte to weaponize, uh, you know, someone who's so important to Maeve against her um, is uh, is really extra tragic. And, and like, I, I sort of, like, went down the rabbit hole thinking about all the ways in which the show has been telegraphing this, like, the fact that – um. Maeve already killed a version of Clementine in season one. She killed the blonde uh, woman who replaced uh, Clementine in the saloon uh, back in season one. And then also we saw Sakura, who is a Clementine sort of counterpart in Shogun World, uh, die, much to the consternation of of her Maeve Akane. And so I just feel like this this whole like Clementine goes out and it's really tragic has been telegraphed, and um, you know that's something that I think. Could be very poignant in the finale if it indeed uh, plays out that way. Mm.
0: Uh, well said, Joanna. And yeah, I thought this uh, Clementine, the actress who plays her, uh, she's been awesome this season. I think mm-hmm. Donald, it's just really difficult to act with without being able to say any lines. You know, and yeah. I think any actor who's able to do that effectively uh, gets a ton of points in my book, and she did a great job. So, uh, do we have any theories as to why like Bernard was not affected by this? Maybe he just wasn't close enough, right?
1: I think what we've seen with Maeve is that she can't control people who are woke. It's just the show hasn't done a really good job of defining what exactly is woke and what isn't like the fact that Maeve couldn't quite control Lawrence. Um, she could kind of, but not fully because he was kind of awake. So it's sort of, I think degree of wokeness, you know, so I don't expect that either Maeve or Clementine could control Dolores, for example. Um, But what would they do with, like, an Abernathy or an Armistice or something like that? I I don't know the answer.
0: I almost read it as, like, it was a proximity thing. Like, they had to be in a certain, you know...
1: That's also true. Angle,
0: like, angle of, you know, line of sight to to the character, you know? That's Um, also
1: true. The proximity uh, of the mesh network is also part of it. But Bernard was awfully close. And so I I think... I think also there is some imperviousness to this influence. So those two factors.
0: So there is a scene where, uh, Ford and Maeve have a conversation, right? Maeve still splayed out on the table and Ford kind of does his monologue thing, which Anthony Hopkins is so great at doing. Um, and then at the end of that conversation, he gives her even more powers, right? Um, well, Something
1: yep. that – it's, it's, it's okay for me to talk about, like, uh, interviews that Jonathan Nolan gave after the episode, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I also thought he gave her more powers, and maybe it even says that in the show notes. Uh, what Jonathan Nolan clarified is that he just restored the – power she already had that they stripped uh, from her
0: i see interesting interesting okay
1: so we see the tablet say unlocking core permissions and i thought that meant she could do something even i'm like is she gonna fly what's she gonna do like i don't know right, right. and then and then Jonathan nolan's like no she just has her old powers back again
0: oh so. okay i that's i actually read a recap that uh that kind of Said it the way that I just explained it, so I think that is like a somewhat. Oh, I wrote moment. it in
1: my I wrote yeah. it in my recap too. I definitely yeah. thought that that's what was happening, and then I watched the behind the scenes, and I was like, oh, oh well,
0: all right. <laughs> there is a um, there is a behind the scenes about like there was a, a featurette about Maeve's neck. Um,
1: yeah, it was just
0: like about how they did the makeup of Maeve's neck, which I thought is really interesting. In um, in special effects, uh, it can be. You, you typically see stuff that is additive, like they add stuff, uh, you know, to a person's body. It's much more difficult to do something that's subtractive, which is what yeah. they do with her neck. Like it makes it look like her neck's cut open, and that they have like these. You can see the kind of ligaments and the tendons and all that stuff. Um, and I think it's pretty convincing. Pretty convincing, you know. Um, so Maeve has been like. <laughs> Like had her neck opened up the last guy, and had to she's had to do a lot of acting too, you know, with just that. And I think she's done a pretty good job. Any other thoughts on this Ford monologue with Maeve?
1: Um, No, it's just kind of uh, amazing to me. Well, first of all, I thought Anthony Hopkins did an amazing, like a really incredible job with it. Um, He's very, um, he did a very
0: amazing job. uh, Okay, uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's that's my bad.
1: Though I will say, you know, we were talking about portmanteaus for what it what we would call Bernard Arnold and Ford together, right? Yep. But obviously, like Ford and Babe together is that's Fave, right? Like, yeah. No. No. No question. Our, our problematic Fave. Um, but You mean, it's uh, not
0: Mord. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Mord. Okay. All right. Um, but the um. I, I, th- I think this is maybe the most emotional, actually, that we've seen Ford ever talking about Dolores as his child, um, you know, and it's and it's sort of something that they didn't lay a lot of track for. Yeah. But um, but, you know, he did, you know, in theory, give her a lot of. Uh, you know permission in season one so like you know his favoritism was sort of there even though it wasn't explicitly stated in season one um and then we also found out that he definitely wanted her to leave
0: yeah, that was, to yeah. that was a surprise yeah that was surprising i thought his whole plan was to have her go back to the park and like you know mess things up um but he said he explains here that he wanted her to go um and that she was unable to like overcome her programming to to go you know uh, or to stay, however you want right. to think of it. So, I did think that was kind of interesting. Because um, oh. I, I, I think like when when season uh, one finale and season two happened, like I thought that Mave was somehow triggering all the stuff that was going wrong in the park. Um, but it turns out that like Ford Ford was actually doing all that, um, and Mave was just a player in the game. Uh, but he does say, yeah, she's his favorite uh, host uh which is, like you said not not that much uh trackable for that but it is plausible based on what's happened.
1: Um someone in the chat room pointed out that I accidentally said Dolores instead of Maeve up there but I hope you guys all know what I meant which is that Maeve is his favorite and obviously Dolores is Arnold's favorite so yeah. um that's kind of interesting because then there's like a whole um
0: rivalry kind of two thing.
1: favorite children you know like I've yeah. always thought of Dolores is so elevated but like if Maeve is if Maeve is the other creator's favorite child yeah. you know um and there has been a lot there was a lot of talk earlier in the season because there's um There's some quotations from East of Eden uh, used in the series. And so, you know, some people are thinking of like our Maeve and Dolores, Cain and Abel. So this idea that they're both favorite children maybe feeds into that whole idea of of the Cain and Abel um, story, possibly. I don't know.
0: But For for those who don't know, Cain and Abel, obviously part of the Christian creation myth where uh, Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's children. And one of them was very beloved uh, by God and their parents. And the other one was... Uh, not as beloved, Cain, who is the one who's not beloved, and uh, in a fit of pique, Cain murders Abel. <laughs> <laughs> Cain R- murders Abel because he's not his favorite A
1: R- R- hissy fit. <laughs> yeah.
0: Has a little bit of a of a bad day, a bad of hair. A he had a yeah. case of the Mondays uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, murdered his brother. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so
1: and then *East of Eden* is Steinbeck's retelling of of the Cain and Abel story, and so um, this idea that like you know um, the when you know Ford loves to quote everything, but uh, quoting quoting *East of Eden* um, is is an interesting choice.
0: So, Mm. all right, so uh, then Bernard uh, wants to find Elsie, wants to figure out what she's doing, and uh, he finds her um and elsie is trying to like she's getting weapons from people and then they have this like pretty pretty cool tense confrontation where ford's telling bernard what to do he's like you can't trust her and uh bernard tries to remove ford from his programming and he like kind of wires into his arm uh and he it's just like data package removed or something like that so so do we interpret that to mean that Bernard is successful at removing Ford? I don't think so. No? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> it says data data removal successful or something like that, and immediately yeah. after that, Ford's gone, right?
1: Sure, so. but I wouldn't trust Ford. Um, someone in the chat room, uh, I think it's uh, – our friend Ryan uh, says that like he thought Ford was lying to Maeve. I don't think he's lying to Maeve, but I do think he's lying all the time to Bernard actually. Um, This is part of the whole like make Bernard suffer to wake him up, which is something that he said at the end of season one. Um, he keeps saying to bernard she'll betray you it's in her nature about elsie which is just hilarious because like um when you say someone when whenever someone says it's in in her nature it's in their nature that i think of the of the myth of the scorpion and the frog right the fable of the scorpion and the frog which is that like you know i think it's a scorpion and frog right the frog is swimming, swimming across the river uh scorpion's like hey can i have a ride frog's like hell no you're gonna sting me Scorpion's like, no, 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 bro, we're cool. I just need a ride. I'm not going to sting you. He gets on his back. They start swimming and the scorpion stings him. And the frog's like, what the hell? And he goes, the scorpion goes, sorry, it's in my nature. Um, New podcast
0: pitch. Joanna (laughs) retells Aesop's fables. (laughs) Um. Think about it.
1: Think about it. Well, what's funny to me is like, Ford keeps saying this about Elsie, but of course it's Bernard who keeps like, Bernard's a scorpion in the story and Elsie's the poor frog, you know, like Bernard betrayed her in season one. And then he's like, help me out. And she's like, um, no, remember the bucket and the protein bars? And he's like, (laughs) no, no, it's fine. Come on, just help me out. I'll be fine. I won't hurt you. And she's like, okay, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Then he leaves her on the side of the road and Shannon Woodward plays Elsie is just like crying and I just... I'm like sorry Elsie man it's it's in his nature he's a scorpion don't trust him so
0: Indeed but he does actually he does take mercy on Elsie he doesn't kill her he doesn't hurt her um leaves her behind no, yeah. with this kind of homing device that's never introduced until this episode, as far as I know, right? Like this white...
1: We see it elsewhere, uh, like in Emily Williams stuff, they also have it. But yes, uh, it looks to me like the thing you get at um, the Olive Garden when they want to tell you when your table's ready. When your table's ready, (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
0: yeah, And probably equally as effective, uh, or probably equally as much technology based on how well the QA has been doing with the park. Um, But uh, I I don't know, like... I think Elsie's going to survive, but it does feel pretty rough to leave her in the middle of this pretty dangerous environment with a uh, Olive Garden beeper to, to save her. <laughs> um, anyway.
1: But, but um, never any breadsticks are on their way for Elsie, yeah. yeah, yeah. so it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then, I mean, I think we already covered what the Forge is, but that's part of the Bernard Elsie line. is he sort of – there is some exposition about what the Forge is. Um, does it feel clear to you what it is?
0: Uh, I mean, it feels clear to me because you've explained it to me on this podcast. Okay. You know, so.
1: A lot of people are heading that way. Uh, I believe it's like synonymous with the Valley Beyond and also like the door. The door, the Valley Beyond, the Forge, it's all like sort of a very similar locale and uh, at least connected concepts. So um, I expect, you know, we'll see. uh, Now, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> introducing like a, the new name of a thing in the penultimate episode of the season i don't know but um you know it's it's possible we will see some more cradle-like action in the future So it's where
0: all the like human consciousnesses are stored theoretically right or right yeah. it's
1: the big server farm that akichita sees i uh, saw in last week's episode um
0: the forge so so all signs pointing to the forge is where like the big confrontation next week will happen We'll mm-hmm. see if that plays out. One, one other thing before we, uh, a couple of things to point out about this. Scene with Bernard and Elsie. First of all, I really loved the scene, the moment where Jeffrey Wright says, "Get out of my fucking head," which I thought was like the most emotional we've seen Bernard in the entire series up to this point. Like he's just he's so tired of Ford telling him what to do, and just like this this uh, guttural, you know, elemental expression of frustration occurs, and I thought it was a pretty great piece of acting by um, uh, by Jeffrey Wright. Uh, Yeah,
1: I talked to Jeffrey Wright a couple weeks ago, and uh, for a different episode, obviously, but like we, I had already seen this episode, and so I was like, I was like, hey, man, you know, I'm not going to write about this. But, oh, my God, that part where you say that thing, he's like, oh, I know. It was like two years in the making. It's so satisfying. Yeah. yeah. Very satisfying. Great.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. it was very satisfying. I agree. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the other thing is Bernard cuts his arm open um, to, like, wire into his system to remove forward. And that, like, cutting your right arm open and put plugging a wire into it has become kind of Westworld shorthand for... Uh,
1: I'm, a, I'm a host.
0: For I'm a host. Right. Exactly. Or this is where the host... You know, this is how you access the host programming, that kind of thing. So just keep that in mind, listeners, because I have a feeling it's going to come back into play later this episode.
1: I don't know what on earth you could be talking about. (laughs) Uh,
0: Anything else about uh, Bernard, May, Ford, Elsie, before we move on? I think
1: that's that's it. it. Yeah,
0: that covers it. Okay, so Dolores and Teddy. Uh, Dolores and Teddy uh, encounter Ghost Nation uh, at the beginning of this episode. uh, We see Ghost Nation call her the Deathbringer, um, and they say, like, the Valley Beyond is not – is not meant for her. So it's kind of a reversal uh, oh. where she's being told she can't go somewhere now. Um, uh, but she says, like, it's it's meant for the people who built this place, uh, but she's going to use it against them. Dolores is going to use the Valley Beyond against the people who built this place. Um, so they have, like, this fight, and uh, they gunned out a bunch of Ghost Nation, but then I believe Teddy spares uh is a second in command, right? Like he sees that person, and he can't—he can't bring himself to kill him, right? What do you—what do you think that is? What do you think that is, Joanna?
1: Uh, I think it's uh, in Teddy's nature.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> he is whatever the opposite of a scorpion is. <laughs> yeah. A
0: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he can't kill people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's exactly what he did with with Craddock several episodes ago.
0: Yeah, but that Dol- was Dolores before. Was like, yeah,
1: I know, but I'm just saying, like, maybe you know. You can't fight your original programming mm. uh, to a certain extent.
0: Indeed, know. indeed. So then at the very the, – the last scene of the episode is Teddy and Dolores hanging out. And T- Teddy's really seems really torn up about this whole you've reprogrammed my entire personality thing uh, and gets – uh, pretty angsty about it. Let's just be honest; like he's not 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 happy about it. And they have you, this. Would you,
1: would you say that he has a case of the Mondays? <laughs>
0: yeah, I would say that. I would okay. say. I, so th- this scene, and he's like, uh, he's like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be in love with you. I'm gonna protect you for as long as I'm still alive. And then he like kills himself. Uh, and it is kind of ma- made to be this tragic scene. What did, What did you think of this? I mean, I do like the idea of it being this very. This tragic thing of he he can't live with himself now that he's this new person I, I like that idea, but again, the word I'd use to describe this is just like very theatrical and not necessarily in a good way like i, I felt like I could predict the ending of this scene you know five minutes before it happened uh I, and I feel like I there's
1: agree.
0: A, uh, I'm sorry what I agree, yeah, like there's a way <laughs> to play this scene that's like more subtle and less I over don't the top think there- and.
1: I don't think there is a way to play this scene to get the desired effect that they wanted because um, the – and I've said this elsewhere, like written about it, talked about it. But like I just think that the show never did a good job of ever selling Teddy as a character that we're terribly emotionally invested in. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's James Marsden's fault because I think James Marsden is an incredible performer. There's just something about Teddy um, that he was like just kind of a good guy cypher for most of it. And then like bad for exactly two episodes. But, you know, so like a little bit more interesting, but you know, not much more. Um, uh, he seemed uh, only uh,
0: mildly tortured by it. And, as, uh, I describe
1: it. well, the the other problem is I think the show never, uh, really sold me on the Teddy and Dolores love story. And I think that's because, um, you know, like I said, I've talked about this elsewhere, but I think that's because in the first season, um, Teddy's the other guy, and the the guy is is William. Like right. Dolores, Dolores's boyfriend's Teddy. But like when you're watching season one, you're like, oh no! But we like William, you know. Until you don't. But like Teddy's the other guy. The like uh in the rom com uh verse, it's called uh, it's the Baxter character. The, the, the like Baxter. the bill. The bill he's, he's the guy you know? that
0: you know the fiance. You leave the fiance yeah. to be with the guy you're really in love with. You know? Exactly. And yeah. so
1: like to then try to bring the Baxter back in season two and make me feel like he's the one he's supposed to matter uh, in, in a love relationship with Dolores never worked for me. Mm. They never really made that work for me in this season. So I am sad to see James Marsden go because I think this is it for James Marsden. And I'm sad to see him go because I think he's a tremendously good performer. Um, But... Uh, and I think Evan Rachel Wood's performance, her reaction, the shock and the horror from Dolores was actually tremendously good. But like, I, I didn't feel emotionally invested in it. I felt like I was just watching a, an incredible piece of technical acting from Evan Rachel Wood selling something that I didn't believe.
0: Yep. Yeah, I feel the same. Does that
1: way. make sense? Yeah. I feel the same
0: way. I mean, they try to even amp it up a little bit by having the flashback, right? About how yeah, uh, he wakes up in the past and it's like the first time, and he he's like, "I remember seeing you." She's but Dolores, by the way, just like chilling in the corner, you know, uh, in the same room, and he's like. Falls in love with her right there, apparently, you know, just to just to cement the bond between the two of them in, in case you weren't sure of it as a viewer. I
1: didn't, I didn't like that when he was like, you looked cold. And I'm like, oh, come on. Though, I, I really <laughs> did like uh, the, like, love-struck look on Marsden's face. Yeah, in that. that was nice. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Um, people in the chat were pointing out that Marsden has played this character in a number of uh, films. The Notebook. Uh, one might say Cyclops in X-Men. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Prince and Enchanted. <laughs> mm. So, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just like if you're if you're feeling like you need justice justice for James Marsden, then please go watch uh, Twenty Eight Dresses. Where spoiler alert, he's the opposite of the Baxter. Mm. So, you know, watch that rom com classic. Actually, Marsden's really good. at Is that, that movie. the sequel to Twenty
0: Seven Dresses, Joanna?
1: So, okay, fine. Twenty Seven <laughs> Dresses.
0: Thank you.
1: Twenty Eight Dresses later. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's uh, I think actually two dresses, too furious, is what I think you're oh, referring to? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, uh okay, so <laughs> so Teddy uh executes himself and it is very sad and very tragic, even though Joanna and I didn't quite feel anything. But it's nice. It's it's nice for Teddy because he can finally uh be at peace and in a uh deep sleep. Which by the way, is something that you can get with the help of our sponsor today, Casper Mattresses. What a beautiful – wow, that's beautiful. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome.
1: Yeah. So I have a Casper Mattress, uh-huh. and I'm just I'm just here to tell you, Dave Chen, that I've had it for a number of years. It has changed my life uh, immeasurably because it has this multiple supportive memory foam layers for quality sleep surface and just the right amount of sink and bounce. Mm. I,
0: I also have a Casper Mattress. First of all, let's just say like – uh, you, you know, many people out there don't get a good night's sleep. Casper mattress helps you to do that, and it does so, uh, in, in a very delightful fashion. I mean, we've both we both sleep on Casper mattresses. When you get the mattress, it comes in this box, yeah. That like you're like, it's how amazing. could a mattress possibly fit in here? That's impossible. There's no mattress in that box, there's no way, there's no, no. way. Um, <laughs> And you open it up and basically you cut open this uh, this wrapping and then the, yeah. the mattress just unfurls before you. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, and th- that amount of thought that goes into the unboxing experience also goes into uh, the experience of using it. Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. Uh, Everyone spends one-third of of their life sleeping, so you should be comfortable when you do that. And the experts at Casper work tirelessly to make a quality sleep surface that cradles your natural geometry in all the right places. It cradles. Ooh. Cradles. Is
1: that cradle with a CR4-DL? That's right. It it cradles
0: very much like the cradle in Westworld holds... You know, all the personalities of the hosts. Uh-huh. Know?
1: Yeah. Casper yeah. yeah. <laughs> mattresses come at an affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you. And they've got three different models of mattresses. They've got the original, the Wave, which features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body, and the Essential, which has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night.
0: Mm. What? What? Uh, which mattress do you sleep on? I would prefer the original myself. I'm an original Casper am- fan.
1: Uh, like just like Dolores is an original host, we are both original Casper mattress owners. Dave mm. Chen.
0: Well, um, you, you, yeah. we've spent time talking about how awesome Casper is, but do we have some kind of deal for our listeners?
1: Listen, our listeners are in for a treat. You can get fifty dollars towards select mattresses by visiting Casper dot com slash decoding using promo code DECODING at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash DECODING and using promo code DECODING at checkout.
0: Thanks to Casper for sponsoring us for this week's episode of the show. All right, so let's move on uh, with the rest of this episode. And there is... So much to dive into here, Joanna. Uh, we basically have like a lot more about the William and Emily storyline. Like that's this is like the bulk of the episode, right? Is what's going on with William and the Man in Black uh, and Emily. The episode begins. First of all, we should also point out that, like many of the last few episodes, uh, these previously on Westworld previews are like really effective. You know, often wordless. Uh, you know, just highlighting the main moments from the series. I'm a big fan of how they've been doing the previously on uh,
1: Chef, Chef's Kiss.
0: <laughs> yes, agreed, agreed. And so uh, there's this kind of like monologue at the beginning of this episode, right? Where like um, there's uh, we, we see William, we hear William talking and. Uh, we see a bunch of like random imagery. He says like this thing in me, even i didn 't see it at first, and then one day it was there a stain and The more I thought about it, the more I realized i couldn 't remember a time it wasn 't there uh, and we see like shot random shots from the episode, and like William holding a gun to his head. Anything you want to say about that montage before we move on to what 's going on here
1: I love it. I mean like uh, you and I we have different uh opinions on the episode, but like All the stuff we just talked about is interesting, but this, I think, is the artistry of the episode, which is the way the Juliet story unfolds. I really loved it. I love the way in which dialogue and monologue are pulled from the middle and the end of yeah. the story and used at the beginning. I love that you see things and you don't know exactly what you're looking at uh, until you see it in context later. Again, um, that sort of like looping, repetitive unveiling of what happened with Juliet, um, you know, and this is obviously like something that we've had a lot of questions about this season. Uh, what happened to Juliet? And uh, we have many, many emails to prove it that people were curious. And so I I really like the way the episode delivered this. And like, most importantly, um, you know, I I brought this up on the podcast that like, I was concerned that the, that Juliet wouldn't, like be able to be that important to the story, because you know the actress playing her was this model that they like happened to have in a stock photo in, in season one. And I was like, I don't know if she can act, blah blah. And and a couple people wrote it and they were like, well, couldn't they just cast an older actress? And I was in my head, I was like, well, wouldn't we know?
0: Um,
1: but you know, they've hit they've hidden a couple casting surprises this season, I should say. And they hid Celia Ward and Celia Ward, Celia
0: freaking Ward,
1: Celia freaking Ward, amazing. I love her, and as soon as she showed up in the i know you don't necessarily watch the next time ons, but yeah. i watched them and she showed up in the in the next time on last week and even though they didn't say in the trailer who it was i was like oh, they got seal award and she's definitely juliet she's got to be and then sort of like some news uh like it, it was revealed that she was but i was just like as soon as i saw her i was like well of course yes seal award juliet great i'm ready i'm ready for the juliet story bring it so huge huge
0: huge deal i mean for me. here's a fact Uh, indisputable fact is Celia Ward does not get enough work you know like I think she's an amazing actor and every time she's in something I'm like this is an incredibly charismatic compelling presence Um, and I I just uh, you know love her in in everything except for Independence Day Resurgence um, which I thought was a (laughs) terrible film but in general every time I see her I'm always delighted because she's awesome Um, I really liked her performance in Gone Girl for instance so it was great to see her appear as uh as Juliet, so there's a scene that takes place at the this kind of gala and um there's all this uh all this stuff about this this big benefit that you know william is responsible for and stuff uh and we we finally see William and Emily interact outside the context of the park, which I thought was really fascinating, like mm-hmm. it, just like it's fascinating when you see these two characters. And the, the entire universe in which you've seen them has been in one context and you finally see them in another context. I just find that inherently interesting to see, like, the different sides of people when they're in different environments. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And just um, to
1: even see her out of the park at all, yeah.
0: you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. In,
1: in, in, like, rich philanthropist daughter mode uh, was,
0: was intriguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I, I feel like the show spends a lot of time uh, with these characters monologuing about their lives before they got to the park. And so it's always interesting to see like that play out for real and like, oh, this is, this is in fact real and like there, is a, there was a life outside of the park and, and I, I like how that's uh, brought to life here. Um, so prior to him meeting up with Ford, is there anything you want to say about this whole interaction at the, uh, at the charity ball?
1: Um I mean we get we get uh, a reminder of William's like love of books uh and and this thing that he has in common with Juliet we get this flash of Dolores and and this is something that I want to bring up with you and like I don't usually like to sort of relitigate disagreements that we've had um <laughs> on the podcast but this is one I do want to relitigate a little bit which is like uh, when we watched episode of uh, four which was Riddle of the Sphinx and we saw that scene where William as played by Jimmy Simpson is interrogating um a naked Dolores um you know and yeah. talking to her about his plans and I was asking I was like what do you think his motivation is and 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 like it was your opinion at that time that William was like completely over Dolores and she meant nothing to him and that he was now focused on the scientific endeavor. And I disagreed with you. And I said, I think Dolores is the drive for everything that William does. He's obsessed with her forever. And I think this moment at least, and certainly the episode as a whole bears that out that like he, yeah, he had this other idea, but this other idea I think was in service of, um, this obsession that he has with Dolores. So, uh,
0: I think, uh, you're right. I I can, I can give you that one, Joanna. I, okay. I think uh, I th- Yeah, I think you're, you're right that like that is the direction that this uh, n- not even necessarily interaction like like Dolores herself, but like Dolores's role in his life is something that he's been obsessed with. And I think that this episode certainly bears that out. So um, anyway, uh, so then William has an encounter with Ford right uh, at the at the bar. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, so exciting that they have a chance to meet again. I know
1: they were giving you exactly what you wanted. Right? Which is more, yeah. Oh, but you didn't like it. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wasn't as, as much of a fan <laughs> of, of this particular interaction. I mean, uh, y- you know, they're <laughs> like I said, the episode is very theatrical, and he's like, he's like, we're gonna do one final game. You know? Uh, oh, that's a
1: terrible <laughs> line.
0: Okay, one final line. game, and okay, it's like, okay, I, Listen, yeah, go ahead. That
1: was a terrible line. A terrible line and poorly delivered. Like I've been, I'm on record as saying Anthony Hopkins could read the phone book, and I'd be interested. Uh, we found the exception. We found like the one line Anthony Hopkins can't deliver, and it's well, it's like all of his dialogue in Mission Impossible Two, and then like this one line right here. Um, it's it's terrible. <laughs> um, but I thought the rest of the interaction was really good. You know,
0: I think uh, in the the slash filmcast Slack, someone had said something like. Uh, they were imagining like he's like one final game, William, and then like, the bartender's like, "I'm sorry, what'd you say?" And he's like, "Oh, oh, sorry, I thought no one was listening. I was just, I was just intoning something ominously uh, in William's absence." Uh, it, yeah, it is very kind of. It it like kind of rips you out of the reality of the show in some ways. But uh, uh, any any comments on this uh, this interaction between the two of them? I mean, it's basically Ford saying like you know, other than warning him about this one final game, it's like you know um, you're gonna find that like like the, the the stuff you learn is not stuff you're gonna want to learn, and and vague warnings about all the stuff that Williams undertaking. Um, any anything you wanted to highlight about this scene?
1: Um, there's this, uh, well, he says something that I think is really intriguing. Um, you know, William says, um, I, you know, like we have an agreement, you stay out of my project, you stay out of the Valley and I stay out of your stories. Yeah. And then Ford says something like, uh, I'm not the one who violated that agreement. You people did. I, I don't know what that's in reference to. Uh, it's possible we haven't figured it out, but I don't know what that's in reference to. Hmm. Um, but, uh, the, I don't know the, um, I thought that was interesting. And then also, uh, a couple times here and elsewhere, uh, William does this thing where he clutches at his arm, uh, in a certain space. Yeah. Uh, and so that's something, you know, we'll talk about at the end of the episode, but it's something that starts at this party. Uh, we see him do it, I think twice. So
0: his yeah. right, his right arm, his right hand. I think, was it also this episode that his right hand was like shaking? I think that was like last episode of the episode before, right? Right. Where you see close up and his hand's kind of like sh- shaking as though something's wrong with it. Um, anyway. So uh, then they, they go home and they have some more uh, intense confrontations. Um, and William, and, like Juliet gets drunk. Right, and uh needs to be needs to be taken away. Um oh, and we should also mention that before they go home, like Ford slides him a card that has like right. all the information of, of uh William's adventures on it, right? So, yes. Um They they go home and then like uh there's a bunch of like recriminations and there's like a bunch of revelations of things and um one of the things that's revealed is that the the way that they're reading people's minds is through hats
1: all right now let's go back okay let's go back (laughs) let's talk about some of the good before we get to the stupid hat thing okay
0: (laughs) okay sounds good
1: (laughs) um uh, you know that like
0: uh yep continue um
1: I think everything that Katya Herbert does in all of this is really good. She's being very accusatory of him. She's, she's trying to get to the truth of her mother. That's actually not the case. She knows what happens with her mother, but like um, all the confrontation I think between them is really good. I think though it's improbable that William's even alive. I think Ed Harris is doing a really good job at like uh, on the verge of death acting and sort of like this coming out of flashback acting. Um, okay. Now you could talk about that. <laughs>
0: I mean Joanna, that the hats is pretty rough, right? I mean, it has to be one of the dumbest reveals in the history of Westworld. This idea that like you have the most advanced technology in the world, like that humankind can barely comprehend at your disposal, and the way you're gonna do brain scanning is hats. Uh there's a lot of questions. That this raises. This raises more questions than it answers, right? Uh, one of the things it raises is uh, what about the, like, uh, do, does everyone wear hats? Because I feel like maybe not all the men wear hats, or n- certainly not all the women wear hats, as far as I can recall. Like, is, is every woman in the park wearing a hat? Um, no, and it's it,
1: certainly not in Shogun World and certainly not in Raj. World. Yeah, and uh, what, what about the and, other parks, I look, right? I went back and looked at the Raj and um, only some of the people are wearing hats. So, like, yeah, no, it's it's stupid and silly. Ryan in our chat room says uh, – Emily just said she's going to turn her father in, right? So William is incentivized to lie. Ryan, by the way, thinks everyone in this episode is lying. Um, the, uh, no, she says later. Right here she's saying, I just want to find out what happened to Juliet. I just want in on what you're doing. Tell me what you're doing. Right, so, um, so the,
0: the episode cuts back and forth between yeah. the, like present day William and Emily or or close to present day William and Emily and then past William and Emily, right? And so in the yeah. present, it's revealed that the scanner's in the hat and Emily says, I just want in on what you're doing and so on and so forth, yeah.
1: Um, and so the um, – no, the hat thing is silly. Here's It's so silly. It's completely silly. But here's here's what I will say about it. Uh, if you went to one of those Westworld immersive experiences that they had at New York Comic Con or at South by Southwest as I did, every single person and uh, journalist who went into that got a hat. That's something that they give you. You get like a white hat or a black hat when you go in. And I feel like – every single person who got one of those is like, ah!
0: (laughs) (laughs) So if you're one of the hundreds (laughs) out of the millions and millions of Westworld fans that got to experience that... That, that was a very shocking moment for you on this episode.
1: Okay, calm down. Um, <laughs> Lisa and Lisa Joy on Reddit like months ago said something about like, I wouldn't trust those hats. That's something that she said on mm-hmm. Reddit. Like, it's just, um, you know, they have a tendency to do that. I, I think it's silly and stupid, but I am not mad about it. I like laughed about it. I was like, this is so silly and stupid. Let's just roll on. I guess they're Reddit, just like, you
0: know? hey, we're going to scan everyone except the people who don't wear hats. And so we're going to, we're willing to take that risk.
1: Right. I, 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 I don't
0: know. It just doesn't hold up under even the mildest of scrutiny. I, I
1: agree with you. <laughs>
0: all right, okay. I don't need to belabor it any more than I already have. So, um, okay. So then there is like this. Uh, uh, uh let's just talk about all the William in. in uh, well, actually, no. We can't really, can't really talk about William in present day without talking about the past William stuff. So let's, let's, let's finish talking about the past William stuff, which is like. Um, essentially, you know Juliet accuses William of like consuming her family first, her brother, and then her father, and now it's me, and kind of alluding to like how William has been a phony and a fake, and has like has has done all these uh, crimes to her family. And Emily sees this and is like, hey, you know, maybe we should have mom committed to an institution. Um, and uh, th- this whole kind of family dynamic plays out this episode. What what did you? What did you make of all this? Um,
1: I loved it. Uh, you apparently did. not But, like, I really love this um, this idea of William as a virus that's eaten through the Delos family because it's kind of true. Um, he calls himself a stain, as you already mentioned. Like, you know, we hear it twice at least in this episode. She calls him a virus. Um, he talks about, like, a black speck and when it was there, it was always there. Um, but, you know, if you think about the fact that William first – yeah, destroyed Logan and then Jim Delos and now her. I think it's all true. And what else is true? What else? I, the other thing that I like is, um, you know, I've I've. We've talked about uh, the film The Prestige uh, before on here, which is a film that Jonathan Nolan wrote. I think of all the Nolan films, all the Christopher Nolan films, and Jonathan Nolan has written on most of them, The Prestige is the most Jonathan Nolan film out of all of them. It's also my favorite. There's a very similar dynamic that plays out with the Rebecca Hall character. Um, and her husband is played by Christian Bale, I will say for simplicity's sake, um, uh, <laughs> where she doesn't she's gaslit through their whole she's lied to and gaslit through their whole relationship and the withholding of love drives her first to substance abuse and then um to suicide i'm okay with spoilers for the prestige i'm sorry i just am um and that's not a major 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 plot point but um you guys can yell at me if you want to that's fine um but it, it's a theme that obviously interests Noel, the nolans there's a lot of dead wives throughout the nolan filmography um Juliet is just another one of them but the idea that someone um like that William playing the role of the good guy and lying to her their entire marriage and always being in love with this other woman but um not being uh introspective enough to admit it to her uh it is so such a painful life experience to have this love withheld from you and being and being told that you're the crazy one. Um, that just really that whole concept really resonates with me. I think it's really really interesting. So um, it works for me. Uh, I,
0: I I think the uh, the dynamics work like the the you know the way the scene plays out between them. It, it's totally is great acting and I I enjoyed it for for that. I think my beef with the episode, Joanna, is that like these revelations are not particularly interesting, nor, nor do they even feel like revelations. You know, like I don't feel like we learn anything really about William and, and A.K. the Men in Black this episode it's, it, that we didn't already know at the beginning of this episode. Um, am, am I wrong about that? Like, do you feel like, oh, well, we knew, now we know this about William. You know, like I, I just don't I don't know that there's anything that was. It felt like it was building up to this big moment where you're like, "Oh my gosh, he was evil all along," and it's like, "Well, we basically already knew that, you know." And I don't
1: think, I don't think that, I don't think it was trying to give us a revelation about that. I think it was trying to give him a revelation about that. Um. You know, which is like, you know, we see him monologuing to her later. So, like, obviously he has thought about it somewhat, but he does this crazy thing in this episode that we haven't gotten to that I think really reinforces that for him, like how far his delusion has gone, how paranoid and deluded he's become um, and 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 where that all started and the way in which he drove Juliet to that. I, I agree that there are there's a lot of this we already knew and a lot of this plenty of it we could infer. Yeah. But um, I I think the way it's done is actually kind of uh, because they didn't do it in a linear fashion because Westworld never does anything in linear fashion. Um, I like the way that it unfolded. I like the repeating uh, and, and um, flashing back and forth. Um, I like that they got seal award to do it. Um, and, and so it does work for me and it just deepens, I think our understanding of what exactly William's compulsion is because like, I I mean, you yourself didn't realize maybe how obsessed he was with Dolores in the park and belonging there, uh, just a few episodes ago. So like, I think I, it is something that needed, I'm, I'm not trying to hammer that. I'm just saying, I do think it's something that needed underlining, um, in a way.
0: I think all the stuff with William in the present day, like that stuff really works for me. And last week, I think we talked about how, uh, there's often in Westworld, like a, a large buildup to these big moments that happen in the show. Uh, and, and it's kind of a test of the storytelling It's like is like has the story laid enough track has is there enough ground laid for this uh this big moment to happen and i think all the present day yeah. stuff really worked for me um i believed it i thought it was really effective it's the past stuff that i'm like i feel like this is being framed as this big revelation like the way it's it's in episode 9 of the season if this flashback stuff had happened in like episode 2 of the season my opinion of it might be quite different you know um so I just think the the language of the show and, and the way it kind of has this build up and this big moment that he has with the monologue with Cela Ward sleeping, um, just felt to me like it was hinting at more than we actually got. Um but all the present day stuff really worked
1: for Well, me, so. I think that it's we needed it here because it's a par like because of the parallels with uh the Teddy and Dolores stuff, mm. like when we see, presumably and, and I should I I did want to mention um we don't talk about trailers for the next uh, episode on this podcast. That's not something we do. Um, I've seen it. Dave hasn't. That's just how we choose to consume our media. Um, I did talk about it at length and in detail with uh, insiders, Kim Renfro over on my other podcast, still watching Westworld. So if you want me to like, do you want to hear all my speculation about what's coming in the finale, which I haven't seen yet, um, that you can get that on the still watching Westworld feed. I think it'll be up tomorrow, but uh to keep it to this episode uh, solely what we're going to get going into the finale is William having just, um, not only having to reckon with causing his wife to die. And I, I would blame him for that, but also, um, directly murdering his daughter and, uh, Dolores being responsible for Teddy's death. And so those two things put these two figures, Mm. Uh, On a collision course with each other having just done like kind of similarly monstrous things Mm. and I think that that uh, Mm -hmm. is why this is here rather than at the beginning of the season.
0: Um, fair enough. I mean, I think, I think the, the William and Emily, <clears throat> William causing Emily's death and the other thing, the Dolores and Teddy would have still been effective. But you know, I, uh, let's just put it this way. I think you're doing a really good job of defending the episode and I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, warming up to it as a result of everything you're saying. So.
1: Um, uh, was it was it because of my recommendation that we all watch Twenty Eight Dresses later?
0: That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I think it was uh, Twenty Eight Dresses Tokyo Drift. Is oh, what okay. you were recommending? Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So William takes the card that Ford gives him and kind of puts it in uh, a copy of Slaughterhouse Five. Right. Yeah. Uh, Which, by the way, for those who don't know, is about a – that book is about a a guy named Billy who becomes unstuck in time and the story is told in very nonlinear fashion. Um, So I wonder if there's a a parallel there.
1: Also on that nightstand is uh, Jude the Obscure by Thomas Hardy where there's a suicide (laughs) and a really upsetting suicide in a family and a marriage-broken part. So.
0: I think at the end of Slaughterhouse-Five, uh, spoiler for the book, uh, Billy is uh, killed by an assassin using a laser gun. So uh, I'm curious if William's going to get murdered with a laser next week. What do you think, Joanna?
1: Oh, I wouldn't say no.
0: <laughs> I think it's entirely possible. <laughs> I mean, do we do we think uh, on a bigger picture level that like I, – I don't think William makes it out of the season alive. Right? I think this season is like William's story – and I think it's going to come to an end this season. You have any prediction I've, about that?
1: I, I would have said I wasn't sure before this episode. Once he kills Emily, I'm like, that, that character's done.
0: Yeah, like there's no, he's completely <laughs> yeah. redeemable at this point. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. whatever his arc is, it's probably going to end next week. You have not seen the finale at this point, right? I have
1: not seen the yeah. finale. It's definitely not in the trailer like I'm not I'm not do <laughs> not any William, it, <laughs>
0: you don't see William die in the trailer thankfully No
1: yeah. um but I think uh, like as soon as he killed Emily I was like well bye Ed Harris that's that's how I felt about that which is kind of interesting if you think about it like I mean I don't know if they're going to find room for Anthony Hopkins in season 3 but like you know he could be ghosting forever throughout all of Westworld but if Marsden who I really feel is not coming back if Marsden and Ed Harris are both gone next season um I don't know it's interesting
0: yeah what's, yeah what's the show could go to a, I mean I, I will say in it, to the show's credit it really has gone in wildly different directions this season even within the season you know than season 1 yeah. Um so if they take it in a really different direction in season three, that could be it could be pretty interesting to see. So uh okay, so what happens in the past is Cela Ward wakes up, um, looks at the card, sees that William like sees all the stuff that crazy shit that Williams done in the park.
1: Well, also my impression was that she was kind of she was awake when he was monologuing.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: She was awake when he's monologuing, and she saw him. Like he slipped the card into slaughterhouse five, but he did it in front of a mirror. Rookie mistake, William. Yep. If you're gonna hide something from your passed out wife. Don't do it in front of a mirror that she can see into. Anyway, trust uh, me. Yeah.
0: I wish I knew that lesson <laughs> five days ago.
1: <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. So so she finds the card. Uh,
0: so she finds a card and like opens it up, and at the top left, I'm sure you saw this, but uh, it says subject zero zero two.
1: Yeah. Who
0: who do you think subject one is, Joanna Robinson?
1: I um, Or or, or put it
0: this way. T- do you think it is significant that it says subject 002?
1: Oh, of course. Nothing's insignificant in Westworld. Uh, I have two guesses. I w- can only really share one without talking about the preview. So I will say Jim Delos, let's yes. say.
0: Yeah. I think it's very possible, which would imply that, that uh, William is a host. Yes? Uh, that's the implication? No.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: How? How so? Okay. Well, let's let's get to that a little bit later. Okay. But any?
1: <laughs> this is our most fighting episode.
0: <laughs> yeah. Any other comments on um this scene with where she opens it? Like any, anything else you want to point out about what she sees on that screen? It's like he's he has like paranoia, paranoia or or something like that. Yeah, In fact, hold on. I think it. I have a screenshot. I can I can pull it up um mm-hmm. and talk about it. Uh, it says. Category forty seven B occurrence point zero zero two seven percent, which is an extremely low percent, and then it says three zero one point nine four persecutory subtype two nine six point nine zero two delusions three zero one point eight one nine paranoid subtype. Uh, so and it, then around it you see like images of William interacting with Dolores and doing all the crazy stuff he does in the park.
1: Yeah, here's my turn to pick a knit. Are you ready? Yeah, pick, pick some knits um, for me. <laughs> just just one. Uh, on that tablet, yeah, we see like little shots. Of, like We see him, that's, that scene from season one where he's like killing everyone with his knife really creepily. Uh, we see old William sort of um, hand Dolores the milk can. And we see him drag Dolores into the barn. Handing her the milk can and dragging her into the barn are things we saw in season one, episode one. Those took place after his wife committed suicide. Him handing her the can and dragging her into the barn. I thought that was something that he was just doing in that episode. But it's it's the same footage. I don't mind them recycling footage. uh, But I guess this just means that William was fond of doing that to Dolores anyway. Like that's the thing that he did when he would go visit the park is, I guess, I don't know, violate her? I mean, like sexually... A co- I mean, because that was the thing is like, we see him drag her into the barn in season one, episode one. Yeah. And a bunch of film critics, a bunch of TV critics, when they saw that, they're like, oh, great, another rape show. Thanks, HBO. <laughs> um, And then what was revealed is that he didn't, I think, sexually assault yes. her in that barn. He was just trying to get information from her. So we're like, oh, okay, never mind. Sorry, our bad. It looks like a sexual assault scene. It wasn't a sexual assault scene. Carry on, Westworld. You have a lot of interesting things to say about women in power. Um, but now that that footage is on the tablet, I'm like, okay, well, why does he drag her into the barn all the other times that made it onto the tablet? Uh, I don't think it was to interrogate her about the maze. So I, I, I don't know um, why they picked that footage because to me I, – I would pick more young William footage of him like smooching her or something like that rather than dragging her into the barn. Though I guess dragging her into the barn reveals like uh, the darkness. His, his stain. We the the
0: darkness yeah. in his soul. The stain yeah. as it were. You know? Yeah. The taint. Um, so yeah, I, I, I find it amusing anytime any show like shows footage, uh, that has clearly just been taken from the show itself, <laughs> you know, like yeah. where was the camera anyway? Uh, okay. So she sees this, gets really upset and puts the card in this music box, uh, that, uh, Emily, we, we presume later discovers, right?
1: um it like she let this is a music box that Emily talked about earlier in the episode so we know that it's something that like Juliet uh bought for her and then Emily threw it away and then it seems like Juliet rescued it from the trash and so she put the card in there kind of seeming like she knew that Emily would find it there she wanted Emily she wanted Emily to know the truth about
0: um right but didn't Emily say like that that um uh like J- Juliet had forgotten about it, right like so i i guess i don't understand
1: no, she, like, said, she said, I threw it away in the trash, and then I felt bad about it, and then when I went back, the trash was gone. But, the, you know, that could just mean Julia found it and took it out of the mm, trash.
0: I, I see, I see. Okay, got, gotcha, mm. sorry. Um, so, yeah, uh, and presumably Emily finds it, and then later on, there's this big scene where, uh, you know, QA people come to save William and Emily, and William is so paranoid that he thinks, like, everyone is part of Ford's game, he thinks Emily's part of Ford's game, and he kills everyone. He just sh- kills everyone. And so mm-hmm. th- the big question is, do you believe that he's so far gone that he would do that? And my answer to that question mm-hmm. is yes. yes. I think, like, the show did a pretty good job of conveying William's obsession and uh, that this seems like a really logical action. And it is a shocking moment, like, gasp-worthy moment when he does it.
1: When he um, kills the Delacypore, or when he kills Emily? Emily
0: specifically, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think they they, uh, they check her spine, right? At the, uh, am I correct? Like, they check her spine to see if it has the ordinance in it? Um, um,
1: his spine gets cleared. You see his spine clear the scanner. Uh, I see,
0: uh, you, but,
1: you don't see her clear the scanner.
0: Right. That's but true.
1: I don't believe that she's a host or yeah. he's a host.
0: So he shoots her and then he discovers <laughs> the, the card in her hand and it's like, yeah. oh, only my real daughter could have that card. And he, re- like, before he's about to cut her arm open, which I guess is his way of identifying whether or not someone's a host, right? Yeah. Um, and so later on, he's like, uh, puts the gun to his head and he has this internal monologue about where any of these choices truly mine to begin with. Like, uh, have I pretended so long? I don't remember who I am and so on and so forth. Um, and then before he's able to kill himself, he breaks He, you know, uh, lands on his knees and starts taking out a knife to cut open his arm to prove that he's a host or a human. And your interpretation of the scene was he's definitely a human. Right, Mm -hmm. and and what is your evidence for that? Is that is the that they cleared his spine from the ordinance?
1: No, I mean Mave can clear a spine scan, so like that's not necessarily complete proof. I think it's it's back to uh, from a storytelling perspective. I think this scene doesn't mean anything if he's a host, and I think it means a lot if he's a human who has lost all sense of himself, killing his human daughter. Uh, humans mm-hmm. to humans. So this is something that I taught, you know, I interviewed the actress Katy Herbers for the podcast. So watching Westworld, she's like I'm a human he's a human (laughs) Um, she could be lying to me or she or that could be what they told her like you know it's not 100% that you know just because she thinks so but she and I just sort of talked about it and we agreed that like just like how I really needed Ford to actually be dead at the end of season one which he is even though he's ghosting this season like he did actually die at the end of season one I needed that to happen for the story I need this to be two humans for the story the fact that he's digging into his arm to find out if he's a host is because he wishes he was a host because he wishes he didn't he human william didn't mm. do something so monstrous and wishes he can blame ford and programming for his actions but he can't he's a human he did that that's what i firmly believe yes well but again, i only I, I only have to like fight about it for a week <laughs> then we'll, yeah. We'll hopefully
0: know, you know. yeah i, I mean yeah. A, a, it would be a dick move if the show didn't reveal that during next week's episode like whether he's a yeah. human or not yeah. but I, I don't know Uh, I, I, am confident as you are, I'm sure that the show will reveal whether or not he's a human on next week's episode. Um, so as usual, Joanna Robinson, very convincing. Uh, I (laughs) think,
1: I, I I guess, I I mean, I think the show is supposed to, I mean, he has definitely wondered if he was a host for a long time. Uh, that's why we see him clutching his arm sort of throughout the episode, Uh, at the cocktail party and stuff like that. That's him, like, fishing around for that port in his arm. He's thought about it. like, But this is, I think, part of his delusional paranoia. He wants to be a host because he thinks he belongs in Westworld. He's like, that's where I belong. You know, and he says as much when he's talking to Juliet. He's like, I don't belong in this world. I belong in this other world. And we flash to him as young William in the park, staring at Dolores and stuff like that. Like, this is where he feels like he belongs. And so there's a part of him that wants to be a host because he's like, okay, then I'm where I belong. But he's not. He's a sad, sad human who has just lost himself entirely to his delusions and the the immersive fantasy of the park. That, I think, is the story Mm. that they're telling. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think... yeah, I, I, I mean everything you're saying is like wow. Like I guess the, the, I guess the show is pretty good. Um,
1: but <laughs> well, I, I mean I, I understood the, uh, this. This is what I want to say to all the people who are like, is is uh, is Emily a host? Is William a host? Like I don't blame anyone right. for wondering that. The, the show is clearly
0: setting you up to wonder that, right?
1: The show is definitely. I mean, certainly when it comes to William, but like. Um, also, the show, like, did such a crazy rug pull in season one that if everyone is, like, par- like par- as paranoid as William and looking around for the rug pull and they're like, where's the twist? Right. Where is it? I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to be in front of it. You're a host. You're a host. You're a host. You're a host. Like, turned us all into Williams, basically. Um, You know, that uh, – I don't blame anyone for feeling that way because that's the sort of theorizing that that Westworld has uh, encouraged and it has put everyone off their balance. But I I would just encourage people and like I could be wrong. You know I've been wrong before. But I would just encourage everyone to like sort of dig into what is the more satisfying story because I think... For all the foibles that that I would say Westworld has, and I think it has plenty, I think Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy are really, really intelligent storytellers uh, when it comes to human themes, and so I think they would tell the most interesting and emotionally poignant human story, especially since the Nolans in general are so preoccupied with like the driving force of love and all these sort of things. Like I just I I feel so strongly um that he has to be a human for the story. But that being said, I also do believe there's a big twist coming in the finale. And once again, if you want to hear me talk about that, hear me talking about that on still watching Westworld. But I don't think it has anything to do with William as a host. And thank you all for listening to me on my soapbox. I'm done.
0: All right. Let me let me try. We have not prepared this at all. Like so I'm just I'm just extemporizing yeah. here, right? Sure, sure, sure. But I think, like, I'm trying to think, like, everything you're saying is right. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, as usual, John Robinson makes complete sense. Is there a world where William being a host would make this a better story, you know? And uh, th- this would have to have – this would have to go way back. Like, he would have had to have been a host for quite a while. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um And so close to being a host that, like, he's indistinguishable from – or or, or uh, so so indistinguishable from human that there's something – essential about uh that character that like um that is fundamentally william even though he's a host right and that like like what you're saying is like wow that's a really compelling convenient point about like what the show is trying to say about humanity and being lost in fantasies and, like, how you shouldn't get lost in fantasies because one day, like, the fantasy becomes indistinguishable from the reality and that's bad for everyone involved, and you know. And, and that's a really interesting conflict that humans have today. And, you know, like, all that's interesting. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, okay, what would be more interesting than that? Like, or as interesting? And uh, the idea of William... Uh, like, there there is this idea of, like, oh, we thought William was a human this entire time, but he was a host. Like, there, there's something even um like like somehow the audience was complicit in william's belief that he was human you know uh and that like and that what really separates humans from hosts and it's like very thin line and not that much you know maybe like the the show could be trying to make a point in that regard I'm really, I'm really, of, I'm really reaching. Uh, no, no, no!
1: I, I I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm not ignoring you. I think the show has already made that point with the Bernard story in season one, like uh, uh, on a really minor scale with the Marsden reveal in episode one, season one, because we thought that Teddy was a human and he was a host. Um, and so we're like, okay, so we could be confused and think a human is a host. And that prepared us for the Bernard reveal, which made us question the nature of our reality and question question, like, the the line between human and host and that that is consistently the Bernard story is like, what if you thought you were human, but you're a host? And I mean, like, that's true of all the hosts, but like, a little bit more true for Bernard, because he's been aware of the existence of hosts and that all that sort of stuff. So I feel like we've done that storyline. And there was was a time uh, this season where I thought so too, where I thought maybe William would have to choose between uh, being a human and being a host. Like maybe he's going to encounter a host version of himself in the next episode and he has to choose, like, do I continue to live as a human or do I live as a host? Um William's rejection of immortality uh, that he saw in the in the face of Jim Delos, like seems to me to mean that he uh, is not interested in an artificially prolonged life. And once again, I just do now that I, I feel like I understand the William character a little bit more borne out by a lot of the conversations with Juliet that he had in this episode. Now that I feel like I understand what his dysfunction is. I I gotta stick with the it's the most interesting if he's human. So all yeah. right, all That's right. Where I am.
0: I, I think I mean you're saying like <laughs> well we are Bernard already made that point. I mean like <laughs> you know we're we're watching a season where we had like a really extended digre- like digression into Shogun world and and Ghost Nation world. Um, you you know making points that I feel have already like it's it, basically I'm, I'm saying like the show has been repetitive sometimes you know it's not like oh the the show made a point and therefore it's not making it again you know what i'm absolutely, saying
1: absolutely but i i just think it would be really cheap if like the big reveal of season 1 is the same as the big a big reveal of season 1 is the same as a big reveal of season 2 mm. And right, so well, I th- I think them leading us down the path to thinking he's a host and then know the big reveal is actually he's a human and and like he's uh, m- right. m- more the monster because he's a human, um, I think is, yeah, the more interesting story. But, you know, like, uh, Westworld, I, d- I don't know what happens in the finale. I genuinely don't. I have guesses. I don't know for a fact. I have no spoilers. I have no leaks. I have not seen the episode. So, like, I am with the rest of you guys guessing. I certainly been wrong plenty of times before, but uh that's where I'm putting all my money this time, so all
0: yeah. right well, you have very you've you've convinced me, Joanna, you've convinced me, and I'm being completely serious so
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, I mean ninety eight percent convinced me you know I still have like a tiny <laughs> bit of doubt uh just because I've been hurt so many times by the show, you know like <laughs> you believe one thing and then the other thing is true, and I'm like, you know what? you can never really trust what you think the show's gonna do, so all right. Overall slash closing thoughts on this episode.
1: Uh, Something that we should, should mention really quickly, uh, lest we get emails about it is, you know, so they've named the server, the forge. Uh, We've also talked about uh, the Valley. Uh, Obviously the Valley forge uh, is a huge famous uh, location in, uh, you know, the revolutionary war. So, you know, I don't think that that's an accident. That you know, possibly there's going to be some kind of battle in in the valley, Valley Forge, um, and anything else. Um, no, I'm really excited uh, for the potential of, of of Maeve to get up off that table. <laughs> she's been she's been decommissioned for a couple episodes now, and I missed her, so I want her back. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm really curious to see how they're going to tie all the plot lines together. You know, it, it, this is like, uh. <laughs> Any season of TV like this is watching a person like put a bunch of plates on sticks and start spinning them, and uh, and at the end of the day, they all need to kind of converge in an interesting way, and as or they could all fall to the ground and shatter. So like it's a delicate balancing act they're pulling here, and um, I am very curious how well the season finale will pull off a satisfying ending that ties all these disparate threads together and that makes all the time flashing back and forward makes sense and so on and so forth. So, uh, and we,
1: uh, we should point out, or, um, you know, if that's interesting, uh, is that the finale is 90 minutes. Mm. So they got some extra time to do it, you know? There's, yeah. There's that
0: should be pretty, <laughs> pretty interesting. So
1: where are you? Like, uh, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to like harp on this, but, yep. uh, I I know, I, I know you liked last week. I know you didn't like this week as much. um, overall are like i don't know where are your expectations like could could a really strong finale like bring you around and say like this season was good i think i'm there
0: i think i'm there like i think we've already we i think we already had a really good conversation last week about some of our frustrations with this season and how um the non-linear storytelling like hurts the show in some ways uh Mm -hmm. and you know, I, I wish they would, as you said last week. I think like trust more in themselves and their abilities as storytellers to like uh, tell the story chronologically. There's, there, I would assume that at some point there's going to be like a chronological cut of Westworld um, that yeah. tells the story from beginning to end in chronological order. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it has been uh, in many ways a frustrating season, but it's also been a season that has so many bold and original ideas, um, and where the the technic Technical elements, right, of the acting, the, the production design, and and so on, are so on point um, that I I still think that Westworld's status as event television is very well deserved. You know, so. I, I, I've been very frustrated this season, but like ultimately it's still one of the most interesting things on TV right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, uh, I, I think that the finale, there's a lot riding on the finale, you know, I think like if the finale is not good, it will really sour my, my impression of this whole season. Um, because I'm kind of like right on the edge to answer your question. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm kind of like, yeah, the finale could like, oh, now it all makes sense. Yay, like, you know, great job. Uh, I shouldn't have said all those terrible things on the podcast. Uh, that's possible. <laughs> but well,
1: I, I mean, yeah, and that and that might be true for Dolores. I mean, I've been saying terrible things about the right? Dolores story all season, so maybe I'll come around on that. I'm I'm generally higher on the season than you are, yeah. and that's fine. Um, but I will say this: uh, one last one last plug for the finale without talking about the trailer. The trailer got me really excited. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty interested to see what's coming.
0: All right. Well, I'm interested to walk through it with you next week on Decoding Westworld, Jana. So it uh, should be exciting. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Find more episodes at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at, decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Joanna Robinson, where can people have more of your work on the internet this week?
1: Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This.
0: Find all my stuff on uh, davechen.net, Twitter at davechensky, that's davechensky, and youtube.com slash davechensky. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
1: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.